cliffcentral.com. It is time for JJ Cornish to regale us with stories and interesting information from all over the continent of Africa. It is, of course, called Africanalysis, where we talk to JJ once uh, every, I don't know, it's every two weeks, I suppose, uh, twice a month usually. It's brought to you by the Johannesburg Business School, and here he is in all of his glory, Mr. JJ Cornish. How are you? Bonjour. I'm immensely well, thank you. Good. I'm very happy to hear that. So, JJ, um, there's quite a lot going on. There's, there's never a quiet day in Africa. And although usually many of the news outlets tend to push African stories to the end, even African news outlets tend to push them to the end, in a world where we should be obsessed with, I don't know, Rafa Nadal winning the French Open or, you know, the Queen's Platinum Jubilee, here in Africa, we've got quite a few stories that deserve some attention. I mean, there was a shooting. We talk about shootings in America, but there was a shooting at the at a Catholic church that killed 50 in um, one of the safest provinces. So tell us a little bit about this, because this is the kind of thing that we really should be paying more attention to. If 50 people were killed in an American shooting, we'd be talking about it for weeks. Well, you know, th- this is very, very sad because this da- is down in the south, sort of southwest of Nigeria. Yes. The real problems are up in the northeast. Sorry, with, I, did, uh, I, I, forgot to, I forgot to mention it was Nigeria. Sorry, that's quite right. Yes. Well, uh, th- this is Ondo State, which is where the security is visibly tighter. It's a much, much safer state. And in the little town of Owo, the church of St. Francis Xavier, the, the gunmen arrive. They use dynamite inside the church, and as the people run out, they get mowed down, and they fire into the church. At least 50 people killed. We oh, don't have God. the full death toll. Many of them children and uh, uh, mothers uh, and women. And, and you know, I mean, there they have kind of images of blood on the altar. It's absolutely oh shocking. No one has claimed responsibility for this. Although the organization Islamic State in the West African province, in other words, this is now moving towards uh, that area, uh, they have been involved in some killings of late. But, you know, this is just yet another uh, indication that uh, Mohamedou Bahari cannot contain things. He keeps saying, in this case, he's called the crime heinous. He responded very quickly and said the perpetrators would live in eternal sorrow. Well, I mean, that sounds like what the Pope would say, and the Pope did condemn the thing. This was a very big church service, apparently 1,500 people could fit into that church. Hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, 150 people could fit into that church, and and it was Pentecost Sunday, you know, it's a very important church, uh, ceremony in, 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 in the church calendar. So... Um, we, but the, the, the frustrating thing, Gareth, is we don't know who did it. And until they do, uh, you know, they can't begin to. They can't begin to pursue them. Again, Mohamedou Bahari is saying, we will get them. Don't worry, we will get them. But they haven't managed to do that with any of the other violent groups. And as you know, uh, you know, people can't take trains, no. uh, can't drive on the roads because they get kidnapped, so they go by train. Well, then the, the trains get attacked. And now they have oh uh, trains God. in some provinces being accompanied by military aircraft uh, to try and, 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 and make them safer. The, the whole security network in Nigeria is broken down, and it's very, very sad. It's outrageous that this, this sort of thing is happening and that the government says, oh, no, 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 we, we're in control. You know, clearly not. 
No, I mean, but if Mohammed Buhari was the first uh, lying n- national leader, mm-hmm. uh, we could we could make more of it. But uh, there's, you know, one of them has uh, just yesterday won this uh, confidence motion, and uh, you know, oh. another one is planning to come back. I mean, we show me a, a, a leader who who has not lied, sure. and you know, and I will show you. I, I will show you, I don't know, a Toyota that's had its service. Eh? <laughs> or one that has been bought <laughs> bought properly instead of bought by fraud. So, <laughs> so JJ, I mean, let's just, just turn our attention to the DRC in Rwanda, a, a part of the, the continent where they haven't had the easiest time for, oh, my God, 30 years. And there continue to be um, massive issues between the DRC, Rwanda, and sometimes Burundi, sometimes Uganda. Um, so there's a new row between the DRC and Rwanda over support for those M23 rebels who we hadn't heard from for a long time in the eastern Congo. But it seems like it's still the wild east, not the wild west, but in this case, the wild east, right? Indeed it is. You know, I mean, it's across Lake Kivu, the most beautiful place you've ever seen. Chocolate box beautiful. And uh, on one side is Rwanda, and, and they've got a big a big station Taking methane gas off the bottom of the of the lake, yeah. uh, on the Congolese side, the fishermen go out and get killed by the methane because there's oh just God. bubbles of methane come up during the night and, and 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 they never come back. So you know there is this dichotomy between the two sides. But we're after the genocide in in Rwanda, and I'm reading Michaela Rong's book, Do Not Disturb. Hmm. If you want to know about that and the aftermath and who's really the bad guy in Rwanda. Uh, it's a book well worth reading. But uh, so they ha- many of the uh, Interahamwe, the uh, Hutu genocidier, went over into mm-hmm. uh, um, into the DRC. Now all the rebel groups were pulled together, and uh, this one was left out of the attempt to integrate them. And they and the integration process happened on March the twenty third. And they called themselves M23, and they remained among the 150 rebel groups operating in the DRC. Right. Now they maintain, and they are Tutsis, and they're going after Interahamwe, and uh, they maintain, uh, the Congolese maintains, that Rwanda, and to some extent Uganda, is responsible for supporting them. United Nations said this just a couple of years ago. Now, of course, the Rwandans are denying it, um, and uh, uh, but the last time the government was able to drive M23 out, we're not sure that they can do it this time. So it's it's you know it, it, we have Felix Chisekedi here up against uh, Paul Kagame, mm-hmm. and uh, you know we did have in Beni that's around uh, North Lake Kivu, the place I've mentioned, the M23 killed twenty. Uh, killed two soldiers just two days ago. So, uh, you know, this is grown-up problems for the DRC. They cannot contain these rebel groups. And having Rwanda next door uh, supporting them is no help at all. It sounds horrible, and it doesn't sound like there's an end in sight there. And, and that's that's extremely upsetting, considering the fact that so many people have, over the years, lost their lives in that part of the world. What about... Um, this the story that seems to be uh, unpleasant for the WHO to refer too much to because COVID seems to have hit Africans the lightest of all, but it made uh, the saddest continent on the happiness index. Now, this doesn't make sense. First of all, 
um, you know, there have been a lot of theories from the medical community about why why Africa was hit the uh, the least hard by the COVID pandemic, despite the fact that we had a very, very low rollout of vaccines. There are some countries where vaccine penetration is tiny, if if even measurable. Um, there were countries like Uganda, who you know, where there were kind of controversial things said by the politicians when they tested pawpaws and goats and all kinds of other things. Africa might have got yeah. away lightly, but then when they, you know, they always reveal this happiness index, which we I think we spoke about just the other day, we come out really badly. Is that more to do with poverty and inequality yes, it is. Than, than it is to do with COVID? I mean, address both of those because they might not even be related. COVID didn't hit us in the chests and the noses and the heads mm. as it did in the rest of the world. It hit us in the wallet. Mm-hmm. You know, there were uh, 13 and a half million jobs disappeared in Africa during that period. Now, this World Happiness Index, you know, I'm, 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 as you know, I'm putting the finishing touches to my book at the moment. Yes. And I'm working on this GDP. GDP says that Nigeria is well wealthier than Africa, than South Africa. It's the wealthiest country in the world. But when you look at what is happening there, is it really? And so I've, I've gone through all the indexes of uh, health, wealth, happiness, you know, and, and mm. how, do, what, how do you really measure it? Now, this is a United Nations uh, uh, backed uh, uh, Index yes. report. It's the Sustainable Development Solutions Network, and it looks at GDP. It looks at social support. It looks at health, life expectancy, freedom of choice, generosity, mm-hmm. corruption. It's been going for ten years. The forty African. Co- it it, uh, it looks at one hundred and fifty countries, and in each of those countries, it surveys at least a thousand people. Now, for the last 10 years, Africans have not featured well on that. But in the last two years, um, there's only nine Africans in the top 100. Sure. And, um, you know, it's it just I always when I look at an index, I look, where are we? Yep. And South Africa is 91 in the latest one. And, hmm. and in 104, so it's improved slightly, position 104 in the previous one. The lowest on the on the Africans of the Africans is Zimbabwe in position 144. How very, very sad. But these indexes, these indices that uh, that we look at are, are, I think, uh, fairly germane and uh, it's important. But, uh, uh, you know, four years ago, we would talk about the period of Africa rising. Well, uh, COVID-19 came along and curbed business and the removed the livelihoods of so many that it has now confirmed our continent's place as the saddest one on the planet. Yeah, you know, JJ, I think there were a lot of people warning at the beginning of the COVID pandemic, and it's worth referring back now, not because of I told you so's, but because we need to be able to deal with these things better in the future. We realized, some people did anyway, that Africa would be hardest hit by the economic devastation wrought by governments shutting down, by ordinary people being forced out of work and being forced to fend for themselves. Many of these people living in conditions where you can't fend for yourself. You might not have running water, electricity, health care. There's nowhere to put your children. Even if you manage to maintain your job, what do you do to look after the kids? You know, for many people, these were the realities of, of lockdowns. And lockdown is fine, and it's all theoretical for people at the top of the pyramid who have a comfortable home or a job where they can work from home. 
But for the average person on this continent, you need to be there for your job to be done. And if you're not there for your job to be done, then you just get fired. And then you have to fend for yourself, whether that's keeping warm, whether it's keeping healthy, whether it's finding food, whether it's being able to, to send your kids somewhere to be taught. And obviously, we learned a very hard lesson from this. Now, the question that I think many people are asking is, what kind of price will the governments of Africa pay for having made these ruinous decisions for the people of those countries? And we all remember how many ordinary people in South Africa and in Africa were going, no, no, we support the lockdowns. Despite all these warnings, we now have the evidence to be able to look back and go, that was a disaster. That was a terrible, terrible set of decisions. In the end, our health, while there were many people who died and every death is regrettable, our health was not as adversely affected as people thought. And in fact, we would have been better off without the lockdowns. There is proof now. We can actually show that in the numbers. Well, there is. And then when you see what happened in Sweden, you know, that was pilloried for 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 not locking down yes. but sweden's different you know they have uh they have a, a public order a sort of generic public order that works there i know the first year of where everybody else locked down sweden hadn't uh the swedish government said well it will not be a good idea to travel this easter and three mm-hmm. percent of swedes traveled that easter right. You know, it was not a, 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 a mandated lockdown. But, I mean, our situation in, in, in Africa is absolutely parlous. And, uh, uh, you know, well, but look what's happening in China. They've removed, you know, millions upon millions of people from poverty. And they're putting them back in there with these lockdowns, absolute total COVID programs that they have, locking down yeah. Shanghai, locking down Beijing. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I simply don't know the answer. Uh, but I think I think if we did have a, a, a society that was more orderly, that would listen to the scientists, listen to the experts, certainly the politicians never did. You know, and, 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 and sadly, I mean, it, during that lockdown, I've always believed that politicians are liars. I mean, I, you know, it's axiomatic. You have to be to go into politics. <laughs> yes. It's, and that's true. I'm not being cynical, mm-hmm. but suddenly, suddenly the doctors yep. turned out to be liars as well. You remember? Yep, you correct. don't need a face mask because right. they didn't want us buying up all the face masks. Yep. You know, so instead of saying doctors, like politicians are too scared to say, and that's my favorite expression, I don't know. When mm-hmm. I don't know something, I'd rather say I don't know. And then you could look at LeBong and say, that guy's as thick as two short planks. Right. He's supposed to know that, but he doesn't. Well, I'd rather you do that than you look at LeBong and say, what a bullshitter. And we can see that he's lying, you know. Correct. And the situation is this. So the people that we once had faith in, we no longer have faith in. So, you know, I, I, I'm simply adding to the woes that you mentioned. Where do we go to now? But we also, you know, we but can't JJ, go to our leaders, but we can't go to our doctors either. It shouldn't end there because someone has to be held responsible for those bad decisions. You know, if, if you're a doctor and you make a very bad call and someone dies because of your negligence and your poor decision making, you could be sued. If you're a lawyer, you don't do your job, you will be disbarred. Um, you know, if you do something that is unethical or, or, or contra bonus mores or, or against the rules of the court because you're an officer of the court. If you're an engineer and you build a bridge and your bridge falls down, your company and you personally will be sued. Now, these politicians who made all these terrible decisions and the people who advised them, I saw 
Professor Karim on TV the other day talking about banning alcohol. And I thought, what a cheek that this man even has the balls to go on TV after all the shit decisions he made during lockdown, that this guy still thinks he can command an audience. And furthermore, tell us that he's got new ideas about what we can and can't do. This guy should be in jail for the decisions he made and the advice that he gave to government. Why there's no payback here? Why? Because they're politicians, right? And that's it. And and believe that they have the support of the majority. Well, I think it's for us. I think the only thing, this can't end here, you say, I believe mm-hmm. that. But if it's not going to end here, it's us. It's people like us who've got to keep pointing out what they're doing and bringing them to. You can't bring them to book. That's no. for the lawyers and so on. But at least bring them to heel and make them think again before they before they start spouting bullshit. And uh, But I think it's a long, long process. Eh? Yeah, yeah some of them are just too far gone. <laughs> Yeah, you're right, LeBung. But also, you know, JJ, if we'd even had this conversation that you and LeBung and I are having now, if we'd even tried to have this conversation a year and a half, two years ago, we would have been banned from YouTube. We would have been told, you people are the wrong ones. You're bad. This is called dangerous misinformation. And we would have been banned from YouTube. So this wasn't even a conversation you could have had two years ago, thanks to those same people. Look, I mean, we're going to sit here and moan about it, but I appreciate you being part of the show this morning and also giving us an opportunity to look back. When are we going to hear from you about that book? When is the book coming out? want to get that book. Uh, This is not a question question to ask a writer. (laughs) I'm putting the finishing touches to it, let me tell you that. Uh, So uh, sooner rather than later, uh, let me think. I'm just looking up my Boris Johnson uh, uh, answers. Uh, thank, thank you very much for your valorous and uh, colossal support, both of you. Thank you. Oh, thank well. you very much. All right, but JJ. don't ask me questions. All right. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a whole other story for another day, what's going on in, in the UK with Boris Johnson. But JJ, thank you very much. It's good to focus on our own continent. And we actually had uh, Prof. Karillison from, um, the, the, uh, the, from the, the Joburg Business School just the other day um, on the show, and he told us some really interesting things. In fact, it was last Tuesday, and you can listen to that podcast mm-hmm. too. JJ Cornish, we'll see you in a couple of days' time. Looking forward to it. Very good. Thank you, sir. There he is. African Analysis, which is brought to you by the Johannesburg Business School. And I would advise that you go and listen to uh, the Prof. Kirillison interview. I think you'll find it very interesting. Prof. Randall Kirillison, who was with us last Tuesday. Mm. We spoke about all kinds of things to do with the challenges facing us here in South Africa and facing the rest of the continent and how he sees much of this in an optimistic light. He sees many opportunities and possibilities lying in front of us, and it's not all bad news.